Rather than having made prudent life choices all along, most of us tend to only seek healthful solutions once we've had a scare in the form of a diagnosis or event. This is HealthScape with Dr. Trevor Campbell. In this program, we'll show you the techniques, innovations, and holistic ideas that you can use to put yourself on the path to better health. Now, here is Dr. Trevor Campbell. Hello, welcome to HealthScape. Today, we're gonna to talk about chronic stress, multitasking, the challenge of technology, social media pressures, as well as the usual old suspects have dragged us to a situation where chronic stress now accounts for about three quarters of the problem that fills the physician's office. The normalization of stress and the communal unrealistic expectations of staying abreast of increasingly rapid fire occupational, social and lifestyle changes have also conspired to bring us to this critical place. Uh, our guest today is Dr. Bal Power. I'll give you a very brief uh, uh, summarized version of her bio. Dr. Bal Power has worked in the health field for more than three decades. Her practice has a focus on integrative medicine. She obtained certification in mind-body medicine at Harvard Med School and has completed additional studies in neuroplasticity, gut, brain, and autoimmune disease. She's a passionate advocate for bringing evidence-based medicine to the masses and empowering them with knowledge. She's been invited to various radio, television, community events, and presently provides healthcare lectures to corporations across the United States, Canada, and the United Kingdom. Her TEDx talk has passed well past the 430,000 view mark in only a few months. Her best-selling book, The Mind-Body Cure, provides tools for self-care as people struggle to reclaim their health in a pandemic of stress that has consumed our world. She's also a clinical instructor at UBC Faculty of Medicine, where she continues to inspire and mentor younger physicians. Dr. Power, I am delighted and honored to welcome you to HealthScape. Thank you, Trevor. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm so honored to be a guest on your show. You're doing such great work. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. So I think we should start with the life event and reversal that set you on this path of learning and discovery that is now the focus of your work and the subject of your book, The Mind-Body Cure. Yes, and, and for your listeners, um, I, I should give a little background and context. I was in general practice and I, I did a lot of obstetrics and it was one of the highlights of my career at that time. I loved to deliver babies and very busy practice, two young kids. And I had a third one. I was pregnant with my third child. And I was at the pinnacle of my career. If, if you look at uh, you know the trajectory of, of your professional health and I thought everything was going great. And they say sometimes your life can turn on a dime and mine certainly did. I finished doing a delivery one night and it was a rainy night. I was driving home from the hospital and I literally was hit by a truck. And that moment, you know, the crashing, the sound, the, the, the noise and, and the, the visual, everything is so still uh, such a vivid memory because it was such a traumatic event. But uh, that accident, when I look back at it now, it really changed the trajectory of my professional career because I became a patient. As a doctor who was used to giving orders and poking and prodding patients, I lay on the gurney in a neck brace with broken bones and bleeding profusely. And uh, as a patient, I had to navigate this medical system, which I thought it was a wonderful system. And what I came to learn over the seven years of going through numerous surgeries, having every kind of medication you can imagine, uh, multiple interventions, I realized that this intervention model that we have is wonderful. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that. Uh, but but it really does not uh, engage the patient. And through my chronic pain and my grief, I, I lost my baby in the whole process. 
and chronic pain, as you know, Trevor, you've written the book on pain. Pain changes your perspective and it changes your personality and it changes your physical and biological symptoms and and systems. I ended up going to Harvard to learn how to, to train myself for something different other than obstetrics. And I thought I'll learn how to do mind body medicine. At least my you know head still works and my shoulder didn't work so well. And what I didn't know that that was going to be a major transformative career uh, change, not, not just, you know, for myself, I healed myself through that process, but I came back and I started to practice medicine very differently. And it really begs us to look at the, the things that Hippocrates, the father of medicine would say, you know, that the natural forces within us within us are the greatest healers. So awakening the healer within is what I found besides all the interventions I had, that was the big game changer. And in my TED talk, of course, I shared that message about learning uh, how how to regulate your nervous system and how your nervous system can work for you or against you. And that's what really helped me to transform my health. And then the thousands of lives that I've been able to to help in my practice since then right it's it's only when we can move from obviously in the beginning we have to focus on what's wrong to inform the physicians and so forth but when that shift comes we we one looks and said well but what remains because um, much remains often even in in bad situations yeah Yeah, that's an amazing story about um in your book, which, by the way, I thoroughly enjoyed, um, a phenomenal read, you very eloquently explain the difference between brain and mind. Now, we so often use these terms interchangeably. And so I think this is also a great starting point for our discussion. Yes, that's a really interesting question, isn't it? Because we just say mind, brain, it's all one. And during my research, I realized that the nervous system, the autonomic nervous system is our motor and that's located in our brain. So if I ask someone to take a CAT scan of their head, we can see their brain, we can do an MRI of the brain. And when we were medical students, you may remember when we were uh, doing anatomy and cadaver dissection, we could actually lift the brain. It was a physical organ. It weighs about three pounds. It looks like tofu. So it's a very physical organ. Then I had to go on a, on a discovery, an exploration of what is the mind? What was the mind just a function of the brain? And I realized that it's two related but distinct entities. And your, your brain is a physical organ, but where does the mind reside? Where is your mind? What is your mind? And I began to interview psychologists, neurologists, spiritual scholars, and they all had a different definition of the mind. And what I've come to embrace as as the definition is it's a sense of awareness. It's your consciousness and intelligence that we all have. And um, your your mind is inextricably linked to your nervous system. So when you think about your inner beliefs, your thought patterns often become your beliefs and your beliefs become your autopilot or your program, your mindset. And um, so it was a very interesting discussion, but I realized that you have to separate the mind from the brain. The brain is this, this computer, if you will, and the mind is the programmer of that computer. And your display monitor is, is your body, your symptoms that we measure. Yes, absolutely. I, I make this point as well. I, you know, so often we get these continuing medical education sessions where they feature a talk on you know, the mind, mind, body is sort of thing, but I, I think it's a continuum, you know, I, I, obviously the mind originates in the brain, but it seems to extend beyond the brain and the body. Yes, uh, there's an interesting um, uh, article about where does the mind reside? And if you've read any of the research by uh, Dr. Bruce Lipton, and the biology of belief that maybe the mind is in the membrane of the cell. It, we always thought it was the nucleus of the cell and the DNA, but perhaps it's in the membrane. But we do know that the mind is a very abstract concept that we're still learning about, and it's very complex. 
Yes, and even Rupert Sheldrake at, at from Cambridge at one time. I don't know where where he is now, but he he's got his own ideas, and I mean he's presented some work on it. So it's a very interesting ongoing topic, you know, with people in different camps, as is so often the case in medicine and and psychology, I suppose. Um, and that that's a, gr a great um, entree. Um, well, uh, now. Uh, when it comes to stress, it's actually hard to overemphasize the damage that stress can wreak on almost every organ of our bodies. And yet it's become so normalized, as I mentioned in the introduction in Western societies, it's even become perhaps an expectation. Like as doctors, we expect it to be busy. Otherwise, you're maybe not that successful, right? And we mm -hmm. start to tolerate it at our peril. And, and because we soldier on that's the that's the sort of enculturated feeling in medicine we we don't we don't bail out or or, or change or try and uh, vary our day until we get a diagnosis or an event and um so we 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 tend to tolerate it at our peril is my point please elaborate on its role in chronic disease and dis-ease as you hear in uh, uh, sort of integrative medicine because to many of the lay public the autonomic nervous system is less than well understood and yet it plays such a vital role in our well-being and the causation of disease states so if you could walk us through a few scenarios that would be most interesting so let's start with the stress response then, Trevor, because that's the very basic. Our brain was designed over the millennia to deal with stress. So if we saw a saber-toothed tiger, our brain had a built-in mechanism called the fight-flight response. And this nervous system that I talk about, it's a very complex nervous system that was reserved mostly for medical people. But uh, we, I, I wanted to bring it to the masses because 75 to 80% of the symptoms that we're seeing in the doctor's office are due to a dysregulated uh, autonomic nervous system. So why are we not taking care of it? So the stress response, you would see the tiger, your brain would immediately lock in and say, this is danger. And it would send a signal to your adrenal gland, which produces cortisol and adrenaline. You go into fight or flight. Everyone knows about the fight or flight. And it's a very powerful mechanism and it's normal to have acute stress. But with right. all the what we call the allostatic load, the load of pressure, I mean, you'll just look at the past one year of uncertainty and fear, Ooh. our body was not designed to be in fight or flight all the time. So when your body lives in fight or flight with excessive prolonged hormones of cortisol and adrenaline, they become inflammatory. And if you look at the root cause of most chronic diseases, arthritis, and, and many of the, the diabetes and cardiometabolic syndromes, inflammation is at the root cause. So you're either living in fight or flight, or the opposite is rest and repair. So when you live in rest and repair, this is where your optimal digestion occurs. This is where there's a biochemical shift in your body from cortisol and adrenaline which is inflammatory state to a more healing state, making DHEA, serotonin, growth hormone, chemicals that are conducive to repair and healing. And this is the big shift that I personally had to make when I went to Harvard and I was working with Dr. Benson, who's a cardiologist. Uh, he helped me to see that if I wanted to change my, my health, I really had to shift my nervous system so that it would be more conducive to healing, right. for chronic pain, for chronic anxiety. And the whole theory of neuroplasticity comes into this as well. But for chronic diseases, when you look at 70% um, of those diseases are due to our lifestyle. Now, what is lifestyle? Choosing poor diet, not exercising, or not managing stress. Well, when we tell patients, eat well, exercise and sleep properly, those are easy things to say. But when we have stress, what do we do? We have soothing behaviors. We choose yeah. bad food. We drink a lot more and we don't sleep properly. Whoa. So having a stressed out mind, an anxious mind, or even chronic pain signals, they make your mind go into survival brain. And a survival brain does not make good choices for lifestyle. So it's all attributed back to a dysregulated a nervous system. So if we could then shift people out of 
stress response and into rest and repair, they would make better choices for food, exercise, and sleep. And that would lower the burden of healthcare in North America if we were able to teach people how to self-regulate. Yeah, and, and and that's very important because you know we we see so many uh, seven things uh, to do or so forth, and and that's important for the educational piece. But we've also got to try and position p- uh, patients for success. That mindset change, that change of of position, this change of attitude, is pivotal in my views. I, I see that time and time again in chronic pain because uh, you know these people with people who have chronic disease have low energy as we know and sleep problems and uh, a whole lot of things anxiety usually depression so that's very important is to get the mind straight which obviously is the command center and um, excellent excellent answer um I, I have a habit of sometimes just changing course and i i i'd like to ask you at this stage what's the two or three best pieces of advice you have for our listeners? You know, I have treated thousands of patients and then I've gone through it myself. And I would say the biggest takeaway would be to take charge of your health and find and awaken the healer within would be number one. If you look at the stats on mental health right now, there's a tsunami of mental health. In the past two years, the prescription rates for antidepressants, anti-anxiety, even drugs for your gut, all the prescriptions have gone way up. If you look at the stats on our health system, they're huge waiting lists, but medication and intervention is not the answer. We have to teach people self-regulation, self-healing, and of course, disease is a spectrum. And if you have severe disease, of course you need intervention, but I want people to take away that you hold a lot of power. And once you reclaim your power, that is very powerful uh, for your health outcomes. And learning, secondly, would be to learn more about the inner dialogue because the thoughts are the language of your mind and feelings are the language of your body. Beliefs Mm -hmm. are the language of your mindset. So if you keep on thinking negative thoughts, you form a belief set, a mindset that then that's the lens you look through. And that really determines where your nervous system is living predominantly. And if you can be aware of your inner dialogue and learn to master your mind, that would be a key element of health. The third thing would be to learn how to be responsive, but not reactive. And so that would mean you going to your higher sort of what we call the metacognition, the ability to think about what you're thinking, Mm -hmm. uh, reaching for your consciousness and operating from a place of, okay, I got this. I'm going to make a deliberate measured response rather than just a knee jerk uh, response. If you're driving in a car and someone cuts you off, it's very natural to get angry and try to speed up and give them some kind of a hand gesture. That's not very pleasant, right? But, uh, But to be responsive, you would just take a deep breath and be very deliberate and measured and say, well, perhaps he's in a rush or maybe he's got somewhere to go. I'm okay. He's okay. We're okay. And, and it's, and it's nice to just let it go. So these are the three things I think that would really help people to regulate their nervous system to begin with. Right. I'm glad you brought up the response to this. One of the best, very brief definitions I've heard of human consciousness is the ability to reflect on its own thinking. Now, that doesn't encompass everything, of course, but it's one of those snappy things that I, it always centers me because we, we, of course, don't know whether uh, other mammals necessarily examine their thoughts and feelings you know, they may do. I, I don't know. Yes, yes. They say that some primates have empathy and they have the ability for compassion and to reflect and they learn from their mistakes. But certainly it's hard to tap into it due to language barriers. But human species, we like to think that we're more sophisticated and we can, on a conscious level, reflect and reach our higher consciousness and operate from that point. And it certainly is is related to the nervous system when we operate from that level. And sometimes we overthink to our detriment, as we and know. And that too, <laughs> yes. 
Okay. Um, now, in your book, you talk about the vicious triad of pain, anxiety, and insomnia that interact to create a perfect storm of disruption, eventually even impacting our gastrointestinal and immune function. Um, how can we mitigate or stop the progression and scale of these disruptions? Well, first, let's talk about the triad and imagine a triangle. And at one point of the triangle, you put pain on the top part of the triangle, you put anxiety and on the other on the other point, you put insomnia and then draw arrows bi-directionally, one arrow going one way, the other one going the other way to connect the three. And what you'll find, and this is true in clinical practice, I can tell you numerous anecdotes of patients who I've seen and they come in with chronic pain or chronic anxiety. So when they have chronic pain, that makes their what we call central nervous system, much more sensitive. So central sensitivity syndrome is a real thing. They become more anxious and they don't sleep as well. So pain affects their ability to sleep and their ability to cope with stress. Okay. Then if you take someone who's just anxious and we, we then expose them to pain um, stimulus, they're much more sensitive to pain. And if you're anxious, you sleep less as well. Your sleep quality and quantity is not as good. Then you take somebody with just insomnia and you'll find that they have a degree of anxiety and they have a degree of pain. So around and around, we go into that triad. And until you break that triad, healing is really difficult. It's usually temporary. But in order to get sort of sustained healing, you really have to break that triad. And sometimes you can give painkillers, you can give sleeping pills, or you can address, you know, the anxiety. But I found in my experience, if we did a mindfulness-based stress reduction techniques for chronic pain, looking at anxiety, their pain, the perception of pain got better and they slept better. So I found that working with the top part of the triangle was very, very effective for sustainable health. Uh, you can certainly get more effective and rapid relief with pain relievers, but it wasn't sustainable. And in my case, I had all three. I had pain, anxiety, insomnia. And it wasn't until I addressed the anxiety portion and really reclaimed my power with that, that my pain signals, because our body has a built-in pharmacy, Trevor. I'm a pharmacist before yeah. I went to medical school. And our, our nervous system is capable of producing endorphins. Right. It's capable of producing serotonin. And we give people antidepressants to build up their serotonin. We give them painkillers that work on the endorphin receptors. So it, your body can manufacture healing chemicals and neurotransmitters if we allow the environment in the body to, to, be, to be optimal. And being optimal means teaching people to go back to mindfulness-based stress reduction using your, the power of the mind. The power of the mind is that the mind can make you very sick or it can make you well. And so the mind is inextricably linked to the nervous system. That's why we have to stay in charge of what dialogue is going in, what's feeding into the nervous system. So that's the triad I talk about. And what was the second part of your question? Um, I think it was more about uh, the gut. So, so this is, yeah, this is kind of an important thing about, um, this is integrative medicine. When you think about the stress response, there's a saber-toothed tiger chasing you. You're running away from the saber-toothed tiger. Your body is amazing. It says, well, look, you've got to survive. You've got to run away. Let's take all the blood that you have and put it to your muscles because you need to run. So when you're in a chronic state of stress, blood is actually shunted away from your gut and secretions minimize and motility goes down. So it is not an ideal place to absorb nutrients. This is not the time for you to, oh. to digest your food. It's time for you to run away from the tiger. So when you're in a chronic state of stress, it is, it is not any coincidence that people get gastroesophageal reflux disease, they get irritable bowel syndrome, they get stomach ulcers. So many things are associated with the gut when mm -hmm. there's chronic pain and stress, as you know. 
Right, right, absolutely. Um, just on, you know, this mind thing, it, it, it's something that doesn't leave me alone because I've seen so much of it. Uh, the mind's like a fire. I know that's not an analogy that's typically made, but in the sense that it's a very faithful servant, but a terrible master. And we have to have mastery of our own minds before it takes us to places we, we, we really don't want. Absolutely. Um, I, 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 Dr. Trevor Campbell on Healthscape. I'm, spe uh, Healthscape. I'm speaking to Dr. Bulb Power. Just time for a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. Thank you. Are you satisfied with your chronic pain treatment? Chronic pain experts agree that recovery can only occur when the psychological and social issues which help trigger and drive the chronic pain are treated along with the other problems. Medications, injection therapy and a range of physical therapies may provide temporary relief of symptoms, but they don't actually address the root causes that drive the chronic pain. I'm Dr. Trevor Campbell, a chronic pain consultant and author of The Language of Pain, a self-help book for those struggling with chronic pain. Add this type of therapy to your existing treatment plan and experience the difference. Get your copy of my book, The Language of Pain, on Amazon. And for further direction, there's also the Language of Pain online course available on my website, www.trevorcampbellmd.com. Act now to take back your life. You are listening to Healthscape with Dr. Trevor Campbell. If you have a question or comment about the show, please send an email to host at trevorcampbellmd.com. Now back to the show. You're listening to Healthscape with your host, Dr. Trevor Campbell, speaking with Dr. Bal Power. So, as we know, Dr. Power, um, in chronic disease, lack of sleep, low energy, mood disorder, and anxiety states are common. Can you just walk us through a few simple, easy to remember ways to either remedy a pain flare up or an anxiety attack um, in the minute, quote unquote, sort of right at, at the time it happens and perhaps even performable in a public place? So if you're on public transport, a train or bus or something, or, or in a cab, no one even need know that you're doing the intervention. Okay, yeah, that's a great question for your listeners, because I love giving advice that is practical and, and useful, and especially in these situations, because you don't have ready access to medication or a doctor necessarily. So you think about the you know, the first responders, and you think about police and Navy SEALs, even they are given training on controlled diaphragmatic breathing. So I would say mastering the breath is one of the most important things. And we think, what is breath? I mean, you, you, you don't need to learn how to breathe. You, you're born, you have your first breath, you die, you have your last breath, and every breath in between is called life. But I really had to learn how to breathe properly. When I went to Harvard, I did not realize the power of the breath. And the power is because one of the main highways that comes from the nervous system down to your body is called the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve is not like the other vagus where we go and gamble. This vagus nerve is very powerful. And I call it the three brains because it's connected to your lungs, your heart, and your, your gut. And when we take a deep breath in, you inhale through your mouth and you hold your breath. And in fact, if I was to put a stethoscope on you, your heart sounds actually split when you hold your breath. That engages the vagus nerve. That's the vagal response. So when you inhale and hold your breath for five seconds, and then you breathe out and make your exhale longer, that engages the vagus nerve, slows down your heart rate, slows down, lowers your blood pressure, increases oxygen, which is the drug of choice for every cell in your body. Wow. And I called it the BMW, which is breath, mind, and word. So you engage the breathing first, you close your eyes, you're sitting on the sky train, you're having a panic attack, no one needs to know. You just take a breath in and hold your breath and exhale. Then you bring your mind and focus on the breath. Just bring your mind quietly back to focus on the breath only. And when you exhale, 
quietly say a word, amen, om, peace, health, whatever you want. And put those three things together and you get to that sweet spot where you feel in control again. So it's a very powerful technique called BMW. And if you practice it, it's just like when you go to the gym and you work out a muscle, the more and more you do it, it's sort of a meditation. And there's no such thing as a bad meditation. Meditation is just bringing sort of order to your thoughts. And that's what BMW does is that it calms down your mind calms down your body and regulates your nervous system so you can recalibrate and learn to respond to your situation from a higher place than a reactive place. Yeah, that, that's very good. I mean, it's certainly simple. I always say in, in distress, we need to keep it as simple as possible. And um, it's something that's easy to remember. That I, I quite like the BMW. Um, and, and, you know, it's very important because a lot of people will just breathe and try and be aware of their movement and relax. And there's some relief there. But adding a third component, even though it's a word, but it's a word that you have selected and that means a, a great deal to, to one, one suspect, or at least it's a significant word. You often just, I, I've seen in techniques, you often get extra bang for your buck that that third, you know, if, you, if you're halfway there, um, where you want to be on the first two steps, the third one can take you right to where you want to be. It's it's not to be underestimated to do these things properly. You see this with affirmations and um, that sort of things and visualizations. I mean, this is really a complement uh, alternative medicine, but it's widely used by evidence-based uh, chronic pain physicians as well because it takes people off a stressful situation. And some people can do it and some I, I, there was a patient, I'm just going to give this for your listeners. It was a patient who came into the office and she sat in the, in the waiting room and the girls thought she was having a heart attack, Trevor. She was saying, holding her chest and she was breathing very quickly and said, oh my gosh, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And to tell that woman to calm down and breathe is impossible. She's in the midst of the panic attack and no amount of talking is going to talk her down. What I did in that case is I just said, okay, just close your eyes. I'm going to put something in your hand. Just describe it for me. And I put a rock in her hand and she began to describe the rock. She said, it's hard. It's, it's got edges. It's cold. And as she began to do that, then I take some deep breaths in. Sometimes when someone's in a throes of a panic attack, you have to distract them. So it, wherever your attention goes, energy flows. That's, that's sort of the, the mantra for the mind. So if you distract someone in a panic attack, we do this with kids all the time, and then get them to do the deep breathing, then sometimes adding that fourth component also helps right and and you know this reminds me of an anecdote as well Bo. Uh, when we were we just finished our pharmacology, college which you did at a higher level yes. uh, because you did the full graduate course uh, studies but uh, i think it's our fourth year or so and uh we it was fresh in our minds so the psychiatry professor who was doing the tutorial uh, asked us uh, said well what is the best tranquilizer? So we all started coming up with these various drug groups, right? And um, or we were all wrong, of course, but you could see he had the look in the face, in his face, that no matter what we said, we would be wrong. <laughs> One of those situations, right? I'll show you kind of thing. And in, in the end, he said, another empathetic, empathetic uh, uh, human being. Ah, yes. No, and we forget that, that sometimes if you see a child with night terrors, for example, just a cat lying on the, on the chair next to them, or the bed even, it's sort of, I mean, that, that's, that's, again, that's not a person, it's, it's mm -hmm. that presence, because they're focusing on it as well. So it's this brew of focus and something else and diversion, but also the comfort of, of, uh, it's particularly marked another person, somebody, it can be a stranger on a, on a long, a long haul flight. 
Because we are, we are programmed that way. We are programmed to be very relationship based. So when we have love, compassion, kindness, and warmth and safety around us, it regulates our nervous system, right? So what you say is very true because it goes back to the whole attachment theory of how we, how we form our, our, our mindset and our, our subconscious as children from zero to eight, if we have stable safe adults around us, we form a better uh, conduction of our nervous system. But if you're brought up with a lot of unpredictability and, and not feeling safe and a lot of trauma, so you've heard all about the adverse childhood events of child of childhood and how they impact our nervous system and our immune system. Uh, so it's very true what you say that relationships of human around us can also regulate our nervous system. That's very powerful. And it, and it reinforces what we kind of instinctually know and sort of ethically and morally, if you like, know that um, it pays to be a better person because you will have better health. I mean, just looking at a list of firstly the foods that cause inflammation, uh, you can see it's, it's not a great diet. I mean, it was a one-off, it might be okay, but the behaviors like exercising and and uh, relationships and that everything that makes for a good life and a good person is anti-inflammatory or very low inflammatory. Very interesting. And I think in the future with functional MRIs, our diagnostic capacity is increasing. Trevor, we'll be able to measure compassion and forgiveness. And you can actually look at functional MRIs and say, you know, this person is angry because we will be able to map out right now we can't map emotions but with functional MRIs we're noticing blood flow to certain areas when there's fear anger or violent tendencies so imagine what our future is going to be that biology and technology is going to interface and we'll finally be able to map out our mind Absolutely. Which brings me to another question. In your view, this is just a personal opinion. Well, not just because I value your opinions very much, but um, where do you feel that integrative medicine, your field is, where do you feel are going to be the, um, you know, the big, not the big surprises, but the big leaps in, in, in what area or in what technique or in what intervention? Mm-hmm. Um Whatever you think, just from, you know, what you've heard and what you've experienced and, and, and so on. I, I think, Trevor, it's so exciting, uh, our, our wearable devices. So mm-hmm. we started with the Apple Watch, and that was great. We could measure our steps and our heart rate. But there's going to be bigger and bigger diagnostic capacity to measure cortisol levels, to measure your sleep-wake cycles, to measure basically your nervous system. And then if we can measure your nervous system, how do we regulate the nervous system? And there's a great study going on right now at the Brain Research Institute at UBC, and they have come up with a device that's a wearable device that you can put on your on the back of your head, which is very close to where your nervous system, your nervous system is the apparatus of nerves and blood vessels and neuroendocrine organs. Um, And this wearable device can actually send signals and regulate people who've had PTSD. So people who've had PTSD is basically their, their brain memorized a trauma. It keeps on replaying the tapes. So their, their nervous system has a visceral response at every moment they're, they're living in fight or flight. And so this device can now feed back and mitigate those electrical signals. And it changes the biological response of the body. And I think that's fascinating. So I'm really pumped up and excited about what's coming down the the pipeline for neuroscience and neuroendocrine uh, yeah. science, especially. It's it, it is a fascinating field and it's ongoing. So we we get, we are about to be even more astonished, I'm sure, in the near future. Um, well, before you know, I don't want to run out of time. Tell us a bit about your book um, and and and. Um, your your website and um, how people can access the various uh, educational uh, offerings you make, um, please. Sure. I, I I wrote this book, Trevor, for for just the public. I didn't write this as a medical book. There are enough medical books about the nervous system and neuroscience. 
I wanted people to learn about the nervous system because I want them to regain and reclaim their life and their health. And so I wrote it with that in mind and I broke it up into chapters. So it's very much, if you read the introduction and the first chapter, you can just jump to the gut chapter or you can jump to the immune chapter or jump to the sleep chapter, whatever seems to be your biggest uh, uh, issue for your health, you can actually use it as a standalone. So I wrote it with that in mind. And I, I summed it all up at the end. I want people to transform their health. And of course, we still need doctors. Of course, we need intervention. But instead of throwing a pill at every ill, I really think that involving the patient and focusing on prevention of long-term diseases and short-term mental health issues, it's going to go a long way to ease the health burden. And uh, one of the, the things that I have in the book is the reframe toolkit, which I think is really important for your listeners. And it's a way just to transform your health. And we covered some of the things, but if we have time, I don't mind going through that with your listeners as well. Yeah, no, I, I'm very interested in the, in the reframe kit. I, I just would like to say at this point that um, your book is seamlessly written and highly memorable. And I, I have to say that in the 40 years that I've been a physician, I cannot recall a book for lay people that has have done such a good job. And well, and as far as I'm concerned, the hallmark uh, skill of a true or born teacher is exactly that. So well done, Belle. I think it's because I'm I'm, I'm very curious myself. I'm a consummate learner and teaching comes to me. Honestly, I grew up in a family of teachers. My parents were teachers, my in-laws are teachers, and I teach students. And I think when you have a passion uh, to teach, uh, then, then it just becomes so natural to you uh, because I'm very aware, where is this information landing? How is it landing on this person? I hope that my message in the book uh, to transform your life and take control is, is, co is coming out loud and clear. So for the reframe toolkit, uh, the first thing is to reset your nervous system. So that is the BMW, reset the nervous system before you do anything, you have to take control of your body through your mind. So the mind, the breath, the mind, and the word is a very powerful way just to reset the body, get it into homeostasis. The E is for exercise. We all know exercise is good for you, but a lot of people don't know that when you exercise, you're actually increasing blood flow to the brain, to the heart, to the lymphatics, and it's, it's burning off cortisol and adrenaline. When you're in fight or flight, what a great way to burn off, burn off your stress. Right. And so exercise is very important. And, and it, it, increases your serotonin levels and something called BDNF, which is the brain derived neurotrophic factor. It helps your brain cells to grow and make connections. F is for the food and nutrition part. We are what we eat and your gut is the seat of all your immune system and where serotonin is manufactured. So it's really important to know that your gut is your second brain. So make sure that you eat pro-immune foods, not pro-inflammatory foods. The SAD is the sad American diet, right? Standard American diet. And um, those foods can be very inflammatory, things like carbohydrates and refined sugars and refined uh, preservatives in foods. The R in reframe is about rest. And you talked earlier in your introduction about technology and what's it doing to our brain. Yeah. And while our diet of food is very important. Our diet of technology is extremely important. Our brain was not meant to be on all the time in the survival mode. And we're doing a study at UBC again, and they're showing that the kids who have phones all the time, their brain waves are in constant alert mode. And so every time their phone dings, they got a little rise in blood pressure, a little rise in heart rate. And so their autonomic nervous system reacts every time the phone was dinging. So we are priming our brain to be in survival mode, and we need to go more into the rest and repair and creative mode. So that rest is really important as well as sleep because that unplugs you and helps your immune system to revive. And so sleep is very important. 
that's the R. The A is the piece we were talking about, awareness. Awareness is the agent of change. So if anything you learn today is to become aware of your inner dialogue, who is making the decisions, who is making the choices. So your behavior and the things that you do really have to go back to your decision taker and choice maker, which is your mind. So assess yourself and, and be in be in control. Mm. M is for the mindset. Uh, I think it's very important for people to cultivate some resilience. And a good formula that that I think your listeners might enjoy is, you know, I gave you BMW because that was helpful for, for resetting your body. But this mindset, you can use a, a very simple formula called soda. Stop, observe yourself, detach and affirm. Stop, observe, detach and affirm. So when you stop and observe yourself, that's the metacognition. You're thinking about what you're thinking. So the thinker is witnessing all those thoughts. That's not who you are, but you can actually observe yourself and learn to detach from your automatic negative thoughts. And once you detach, you get to put in and affirm, assert new thoughts that are that are trust based. So if you have this constant thought that, oh my goodness, you know, COVID is going to kill me. I can't go out. I'm going to die. I'm, you have these personal safety issues. You learn to detach from those automatic negative thoughts and work with trust based thoughts. I'm safe now in this moment. I am safe. I am whole. I'm taking steps to ensure my safety. So those are the soda formulas, very. Um, very powerful because when you're in a state of trust and gratitude, you you don't create stress. No, no, that's it's very good. I, I did find your book; it, it gives a, an excellent plan for somebody to follow these. You know, because there's that overwhelm. There's a lot happening with your body, with one's body in in chronic disease, and there's a lot not happening in one's life. And one one falls behind with things, and it's a bit overwhelming. So, a clear a clear sort of plan that you can put on the fridge, mm-hmm. uh, to know it, Pat, is is essential. And and one of the biggest problems, and I come back to this, it's so often, is that our medical system, there's the there's the business of medicine. It's got to be funded, and whether it's social social health or uh, you know private, um, and and. P- People who work in medicine are seen as resources and so forth. But with the physician consultation times the way they are, so much of this work is just so difficult to do for a normal uh, practitioner. And I know with integrative medicine, uh, patients often find the physician rather, you know, <laughs> rather than yeah, the It's very driven by, by the patients, this integrative yeah. model. Yeah. But then also, you know, uh, integrated physicians can get into the story and and do a better job. I mean, there's the education piece for sure, but there's also that time factor because we know someone comes to us distressed. It's it's not as though the thoughts are all ordered and in paper and can be just listed like that. You know, they they tearful or they angry or frustrated or they clenched and and closed. It's it, you need time. I, I just think that's the one of the biggest obstacles that doesn't quite get enough airtime in my opinion there'll be people who obviously who disagree but the because nothing much very often nothing else happens if the patient isn't reading or looking for educational opportunities it's sort of the the, the pharmacist uh, getting your 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 needs and and the, the, the physician and and, and some specialist appointments. And I think even that for a lot of people is very hard to coordinate. It's important that they have all this, but some kind of some kind of plan that you invest right. just increases your chances way more by, of success, of course. You're absolutely right. It, it is our, our North American healthcare system is very much symptom-based because right. it's a shortcut. Everybody wants instant gratification. The doctor is pressed for time. People are pressed for time. What can I do that's quick that's going to snuff out my symptom of heartburn? 
you have a headache, here's a drug, you're depressed, here's a drug. And I think if we empowered people with some tools, and I think this is where technology is going to really help us, Trevor, is that if we can help people to, you know, things like the Calm app or, or the Breathe app, those are very helpful and they have been helping our patients I'm hoping to, um, if people ever want to visit my website, I will send them the Reframe Toolkit, and I offer free education and blogs uh, on things that uh, might be relevant to them that can help them to calm their anxiety or chronic pain. So they're welcome to go to drbalpawa.com and and, um, get some free education. That's great. I I think that that that's very important because... um, you know, anything that helps. I mean, look, there's going to be ways of rating apps. And at the end of the day, the market will also give its opinion. But I do think it's one of the things we've we've seen the downside of technology for sure, uh, from what it's doing, what's happening. But I think we should also at least cash in on the positive side. And when I say cash in, I mean, make use of, I'm not talking. <laughs> okay, I know, I, I know. It just sounded yeah. funny after I said it, you know, it's like um, a disclosure, I have no shares anyway. <laughs> uh, but the, the point is, uh, you know, we may as well, as I, I like the word scoop, the advantages in something that's already become a complex, it, it's become complex in a way I don't think too many people anticipated. Mm-hmm. You know, we all loved booking our own holidays and stuff in the beginning. And then um, it kind of, uh, I don't know, it's, some people are very good at it, I guess. So, okay, I guess and of course, you know, when you unplug and you do the R and reframe, we do want you to, we encourage you to have nature. And, and uh, just recently they're encouraging doctors to give a prescription to patients to go and spend time in nature. And nature helps our nervous system to calm down and regulate. We, we have this primordial sort of um, uh, vibration with, with the, the environment and our nervous system. So sitting in trees and sitting with ocean waves lapping at your feet does help to calm down your nervous system. Yeah, it's, it even changes your consciousness. And some people see that as the contemplation of nature, being in nature as, as almost a spiritual or transcendental experience. Mm-hmm. And as we know, spirituality is, is broad and inclusive and one person's spirituality won't be another one. So, so you make a very good point. I know what nature does for me and, and um, it, it's brilliant. Um, it's, been, it's been a wonderful experience so glad you made it a bell uh, to healthscape uh, i've enjoyed it tremendously i've enjoyed your book and uh listeners will certainly benefit from the information thank you trevor and such a compliment to hear a, a colleague and a physician who who thought this book was very good and well written so thank you for that you're very welcome it's very deserved as well so thank you bell uh this is dr trevor campbell host at healthscape having spoken with Dr. Bell Power, um, signing off. Thank you for tuning in to Healthscape with Dr. Trevor Campbell. We hope you'll join us again next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time or listen anytime on demand on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a healthy week.